Well, good morning and welcome to Faith Church. It is so good to have you all here with us this morning. My name is Kirk. I'm one of the pastors here at Faith Church. And for the last several weeks, we've been walking through a series called Unwrapped. And what we've been doing is trying to unwrap the Christmas story for you. And what we mean by that is we've been trying to tell you the story through some of the eyes of the people that experienced it. We've been trying to tell you it in a way that, that those who lived it would have experienced it and felt it, how it would have been for them. And so we're going to continue that. And one of the things you've seen throughout the series, you're going to see it again today, is that when we dive into the reality of the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, there are parts of that story that can feel dark, discouraging, even disappointing at times when you really dive into the reality of what took place. And so I thought, what better way to start today than to share with you from a Christmas tradition in my life that turned dark, disappointing, and discouraging for me, just to set it all up. And so where this all begins, let me share with you a story from my life growing up. Every single year in my stocking, I would receive underwear. I don't know if Santa did this for all of you too, or this was special for me and my family, but we got underwear. Now, here's what would happen, is that the underwear you always got was always a size too big for you. That way, it would fit you during the summer, be a size too small by the time Christmas rolled around, and I think his thoughts were, that way you would want underwear again so you could get the right size. So, so I, I share that with you to preface where we're headed in this story, okay? Now, one year, uh, I had just turned five, it was in the spring, and I've always been one of those kids who as soon as I think it's remotely warm enough out to wear shorts, I wear shorts. So like I'm wearing shorts in 40 degree weather, 50 degree weather, yesterday it was 45 and me and my boys were outside playing basketball because why not, that's what you do. So I'm about five years old, I've got shorts on, it's an early spring day, my family decides to go to Meyer. And so we go to Meyer, and, 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 and you have to know I'm wearing my special Christmas underwear. It's still a size too big at this point, okay? That's important, all right? So we get to Meyer, and, and us kids asked my parents what we'd ask every single time we got there. We said, hey, can we go to the toy section? Can we go look at the toys? And, 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 and every once in a while, they would let us do that as long as us kids stayed together. We had to stay together. And so us kids, they let us go. So we're off to the toy section. And we're over there just enjoying ourselves, looking at the toys, and all of a sudden it hits. I realize I've got to go to the bathroom. But I'm the youngest in the family. I know I can't go on my own. So I go to my, my brother and my sister, and I say, guys, I've really got to go to the bathroom. Can one of you take me? And being the phenomenal brothers and sisters that they are, they said, no. <laughs> now, no big deal. This is the first wiggle, right? So like we've all, we've all been there, done that. I'm okay. Since this story, I've created a life rule, just so you know. Two wiggles and you better go. More than two, you're in trouble. That's my new life rule because of this story. So I, I wiggled again and I, I was like, man, I really got to go. And I went to my brother and sister again and again they said no. This would happen several more times. Finally, finally I go to my brother and I'm like, dude, it's like, I have to go. If you don't take me now, I'm going to go here. Please take me. And so he goes, all right, fine. And he takes me to the bathroom. And I'm like, dude, speed up. He's like, why? I'm like, because if we don't speed up, I ain't getting there on time. So we begin to walk incredibly fast. And we're kind of cruising through the aisles, making our way towards the bathroom. And all of a sudden, I go, whoa, 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 slow down. He goes, why are we slowing down? Just, we just are. You need to slow down. Kirk, why are we slowing down? I was like, because I just went. <laughs> oh. So we began to walk slow. Very slow. 
We get right to this point, and any of you that grew up around here, and you were at the Meyer and Oakmas, there was a period of time around 1985 when the way it was set up was you had the two main doors coming in, but the, the cashiers were all on the sides, and there was one main center place that they funneled everybody to and through. And whenever you got to holiday season, there was the person that was standing there with all the coupons, handing them out, and that kind of thing, right? Well, we get right to that spot, and I go, okay, Josh, let's speed up. He's like, why are we speeding up? I'm like, just speed up. And so he goes to speed up. He goes, I don't understand. Why are we speeding up? I thought, and I go, it fell out. <laughs> That's why we're speeding up. <laughs> so we make our way to the bathroom, clean myself up. I'm good to go. We begin our walk back, and my brother says to me, where do you think it's at? <laughs> I said, I don't think we have to ask. I think we'll just know. I think when we get there, we'll just know. And so sure enough, we're walking back. And as we're walking back, we get to that spot where that poor person is standing, handing out the coupons. And I'm telling you, back in 1985, there was not fart spray, but you would have thought <laughs> there was. We walk by, and Josh goes, where is it? Where is it? And I go, it's right there. He goes, no, that's mud. I go, no, that's it. <laughs> Had several footprints in it. I feel bad. So any of you that like 35 years ago were shopping at Meijer and remember a smell was following you around, that may have been my fault. I apologize. So we did not tell my parents that story until we were in college. <laughs> they had no idea. So moral of the story is buy your kids underwear that fits. All right? So sometimes Christmas stories can turn dark and turn disappointing. That was an embarrassing moment for me. Now that I'm a pastor, it's just fun to tell. And in the same way, though, as we look into the Christmas story today, there's going to be parts of the story today that we're going to dive into that can turn dark, that can turn discouraging, that can be frustrating, that can be hard to accept or hard to receive. In fact, the, what we're going to do today is we're going to dive into looking at one character in particular in the Christmas story. It's the character that I think gets the most forgotten, gets the most ignored, the least talked about. It's the character in the nativity set that, that it just seems like nobody ever addresses. No one, no one talks about him. And, and, and so what I want to do today is I want to tell you the Christmas story through the lens of this character, how this person would have experienced Christmas. And that person I want to tell you the story through the lens of is Joseph, or as I like to call him, Joe. Now, the story of Christmas doesn't begin with Joe. It actually begins with a young girl named Mary. Mary was a young girl who had never been intimate with anybody, but she was pregnant. And an angel came to her and told her she was pregnant and told her that this was God's doing, that God had a plan for her and he wanted her to follow through with this, that God was going to use her in an incredible way. And so the next thing that Mary needed to do was she sat down with her fiancé. Her fiancé was Joe. This is where Joe comes in the story. And tells Joe that she's pregnant, tells him that God did it, and, and that God wants them to stay together, and he's got this incredible story for them. And when Joe hears that Mary's pregnant, he decides, nope, I'm out. <laughs> he tells her, uh, I don't want any part of this, we're going to break up, we're going to be done with each other, I'll do it quietly, I'll do it nicely, but I'm out. And then an angel appears to Joe. <laughs> and the angel tells Joe, Joe, your fiance Mary, she's telling you the truth. 
An angel really did come to her. The baby that's in her really is from God, and God's got a plan. It's not your plan, Joe. It's not what you pictured for your life. It's not what you wanted, but God's got a plan, and he wants you to follow through with his plan. And so Joe does what anybody does when an angel comes to you and says, do this. You say yes. <laughs> and so angel says yes, or angel Joe says yes, and begins to follow. Now, at this time, Rome had issued a decree that commanded everybody to return to their hometowns. They were taking a census. They wanted to find out the population, uh, essentially so that they could make sure they were taxing everybody that was alive. (laughs) And so you were required to go back to your hometown. So Joe packs up what little bit he has, packs up his fiance with a bunch of angel stories, (laughs) and they make their way to his hometown. Now, I want you to think about the first time that you left town and the first time that you came back to your hometown. When you return to your hometown, it's supposed to be a fun thing, an exciting thing, a good thing, right? It's fun to return to your roots. It's fun to come back to the place where people know you, they know your name, they know your history. It's supposed to be an exciting thing. Some of you, the first time that you came back home after leaving was maybe, maybe the first year after you graduated from high school, you came back for the homecoming game, right? It's one of the few times that you thought it was cool to bring out your letterman jacket. And then you realize once you're out of high school, it's not cool anymore, (laughs) Others of you, the first time that you came back home, maybe it was for your five-year high school reunion or your 10-year high school reunion. And what happens when you come home for that first time, especially for a reunion, is you kind of want to make sure people know you've made something of yourself, right? You want to tell them, here's how I've been successful. Here's what I've accomplished. Here's the good I've done. And you want to make sure they know that. You want to tell them that. And so it's kind of where for the first time, maybe you begin to think about what your title is at work, (laughs) And you're like, well, if, if I tell people that I'm not the assistant to, but rather I'm in charge, would they know? <laughs> and as long as I don't pass out a business card, they would. This will be okay. Because you want to impress them. You want to think that, that you're, you've accomplished something. And so this tends to be what happens the first time you go home. And then, then there's the time you return home with her or with him, right? You have figured out who you're going to spend the rest of your life with. And you're excited to bring them home to meet your family, to meet your friends. And you just wonder, what will they think? Will they be impressed? Will they like her? Will they think that we're a good fit for each other? Are my friends going to look at me and say, Joe, she is way out of your league, which is exactly what you want them to say. (laughs) That's what homecoming is supposed to be like. But for Joe, his homecoming would be nothing like that. See, remember, Mary's pregnant. And I remember when my wife and I got pregnant the first time, I remember how exciting it was to come home and tell our family, to tell our friends. That's an exciting moment. Lots of people come with creative ways to do it. We just let them know. And I just remember, though, how excited and surprised they were. Surprised that someone like me was about to have a kid. (laughs) And then there was all the jokes, right? Oh, man, we hope she gets Emily's looks. Oh, man, we hope he gets Emily smart. Oh, man, we hope the baby gets the size from Emily's side of the family. That was supposed to be funny. Like height, tall. There it is. Okay. Returning home when you're pregnant is supposed to be this special, exciting moment. But I don't think it was that way at all for Joe. See, I I never really thought about the Christmas story this way before. I never tried to picture it through his lens, through how he experienced, through how it felt for him. For him, there probably wasn't any exciting announcement to family. 
probably wasn't any high fives from his siblings or fist bumps from his friends. He returned home with his fiance, not his wife. She's nine months pregnant and she's not supposed to be. One look at her and everybody knows what's going on. And yet the truth is no one really knows what's going on. So what does Joe tell him? What what could he tell his friends? (laughs) No, really guys, an angel did this, I promise. (laughs) This is God, not me, I'm not lying. (laughs) And their responses would have been, Joe, stop lying. Joe, I've never seen somebody go to such great lengths to try to make this okay. Just own what you did, Joe, you messed up. This isn't okay, Joe. You see, he really couldn't say much. He had to just hold it in and really probably say nothing. See, your first homecoming, our first homecoming tend to be an exciting time. This homecoming for Joe was gonna be quite the test. Now, let me give you a little information on how weddings and engagements worked at this time, just so you understand the situation that Joe and Mary find themselves in. At this time, Jewish weddings had three different stages to them. The first stage is kind of the engagement stage. What would happen in the first stage is this is where, because all marriages this time were arranged marriages, this is the stage where your parents would pick out who you were going to marry and they'd let you know this is the person you're going to marry. This is the person you spend the rest of your life with. The second stage is the betrothal time. And the betrothal time would take about a year. During this time, what would happen is that you would be considered husband and wife but you wouldn't live together. You weren't allowed to be intimate with one another. You had to wait, and this time would last a year. Then there would be the ceremony. The ceremony was the big shindig. It was the finale. It was the ending. Once that happened, now you're together. Now you're married. Now everything kind of goes the way we would think. So where Mary and Joseph are at in this process is that they're in that betrothal period of time. That year where they oftentimes get called husband and wife, but they're not actually allowed to be together at all. And so Mary and Joseph have returned to their hometown to register. They've traveled the 90 miles. It should be a celebration. This should be a time where he gets to say, let me introduce you to my wife. Oh, and we're so excited, she's pregnant. We're gonna have a baby. But instead, because they're in that betrothal period of time, because by law there is no way that Mary should be pregnant, they're avoiding all the crowds. And in the same way, it seems as though all the crowds are avoiding them. In fact, the scriptures tell us that there is no room for them. But what that really means, the reality of what was taking place is when Mary and Joseph returned to their hometown, because Mary's nine months pregnant and they're only in the betrothal period of time, she's not allowed to be pregnant by law, she shouldn't be pregnant. When it says there's no room for them, what that means is it means that every friend and every family member in that town that normally would welcome them into their home, especially someone who's nine months pregnant, has turned them away. Not only have all of the friends and family members turned them away, but every public place that might house house them has turned them away. You see, the entire community is looking at Joe and Mary and they're saying, we know who you are, we know what you've done, and we want no part of this disgrace. Can you imagine the amount of judgment they must have felt from an entire community 
from their hometown, from their family, from their friends. Can you imagine the amount of judgment they felt? Can you imagine the amount of shame that was being heaped on them? See, the truth of the matter is, is that I know there are some of you here today who you can imagine that because you have felt that judgment before. You have felt that shame that people try to put on you. They don't understand your situation. They don't know the road you've walked. They don't know what you've been through, but they will judge you and make you feel bad for it. In fact, here's another truth that I know as we stand here today. There are some of you who are here that maybe you said, I'll never step foot inside church again. Maybe you're even surprised you're here. Maybe you're here because someone invited you. Someone begged you to come. But you have felt that kind of judgment from the church. And if that's you, what I'm about to say is probably too little and too late, but I still think it's important that you hear it. If you've ever felt that kind of judgment from the church, can I just say to you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. See, one of the things I love about my Savior, one of the things I love about who God is, that we learn as we read through scriptures, read through the stories of Jesus, is that he doesn't deal in guilt and shame. What that means is he won't use your guilt or your shame to make you feel bad. That's not how Jesus works. Unfortunately, sometimes the church will, and I'm sorry. Joe's homecoming was dismal. It wasn't exciting. It wasn't what you might think it was. It was hard, and it was challenging. The angel that appeared to Joe, he, he kind of warns them all of all this. In fact, let me read to you the interaction between the angel and Joe. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. It says, Joseph, son of David... Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. He says, Joe, I know this is going to be terrifying. Joe, I know this is going to be disgraceful. Joe, I know this might bring you a lot of shame, but I need you to follow my plan. The angel comes to Joe, and he says, Joe, I know you had a plan for your life. Joe, I know that you were thinking this is how your life was going to work out. The angel comes and says, you've got a plan, Joe, but God's got a plan, and I need you to follow God's plan. I know you're afraid, but there's this boy, and he's not your, he's not your son at all. But I need to raise him like he is yours. In fact, you're going to walk through everything that a father would walk through, but he doesn't get to be your son. <laughs> and so in the nativity scene, you see Joe standing there. And what's interesting is that as you look at nativity scene after nativity scene after nativity scene, in almost every one of them, you see Joe's head is down. I used to think that it's because he's staring down at the baby Jesus. And now as I think about this story through the lens of Joe, I just wonder if the reason why his head is down is because he's just thinking to himself, this is not how I plan to come home. This is not my plan. This isn't what I imagined. And you can't help but wonder what's going through Joe's mind. I just wonder, is he looking at the baby and just going, he doesn't have my eyes. 
doesn't carry my name? Does this mean Joseph and Son's carpentry can't happen? (laughs) He's not mine. And so Joe stands there. In fact, that seems to be a lot of what Joe does is just stand there quietly. In fact, if you were ever in a Christmas play as a child and you were given the role of Joe, of Joseph, Maybe you got excited because you're like, oh, it's the dad of Jesus. It's Mary's husband. This will be great. And then you got the script, right? And Joe does nothing. He goes nowhere and he says nothing. He stays in one place, head down, no lines. (laughs) Now, everybody else, they've got lines, right? The shepherds will come and they will praise him and praise the baby and they'll go. The wise men will come and they'll bring their great gifts and they'll worship the baby Jesus and they'll go. And Mary will get her time and she's got her prayer and and, and she gets lines and she's made a big deal of and, And then there's Joe. Joe almost feels like that uninvited guest that shows up for Christmas. You know who I'm talking about, right? Your daughter's got a boyfriend that you don't really like. You're afraid he's going to come, so you bought a gift just in case he shows up. (laughs) That's Joe. That's what it feels like to be Joe. The focus of the story is the baby. That's for sure, and it's supposed to be. That's okay. Much is made of Mary, too. Then you've got the angels, the shepherds, and the wise men. And guess what? They all get songs, don't they? They all get songs at Christmas time. Even some drummer boy that's nowhere in Scripture gets a song. <laughs> Joe doesn't get a song. There's no, Joe, did you know that your baby, right? That's not his song. That's Mary's song. Mary gets lots of songs. Joe gets none. And remember how this began? Joe wanted out. Oh, he was going to do it nice. He was going to do it respectfully. He was going to do it quietly. But he said, I don't want any part of this. And God said, Joe, I know that you had plans for your life. And I know what I'm asking you to do is not what you had planned. I know what I'm asking is not what you ever pictured or envisioned for your life. But Joe, I've got plans and I need you to follow my plans. And Joe does. Joe follows the plans that God has for him. And the interesting thing is, is that you would think when all this is done, you would think that when everybody leaves the manger, that what's coming Joe's ways, you just would picture, what I imagine, is that when everybody finally leaves, is that surely God's up in heaven and he's just going to go, great job, Joe. Well done. Joe, here, let me give you a break, Joe. You need a break. Let me, let me give you some peace, Joe. You need some peace. Let me give you some joy, Joe. Let me reward you for what you've done. See, that's what you would think is about to come for Joe. But instead, it's nothing like that. In fact, let me show you in Scripture what happens next after everyone leaves. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. It says, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. Are you kidding me? This is the reward he gets? I mean, one dream where God says, it's not your plan, it's my plan, but I need you to do it, Joe. I need you to raise this kid like he's your own, Joe. 
And Joe does. He submits. He does what God wants him to do. He's there in the nativity scene where he's supposed to be. It's an incredibly humbling experience. And one would think the next thing that's coming to Joe is blessing. But instead, he has another dream. And in this dream, God says, Joe, get up and you got to grab your baby and you got to grab Mary and you got to run. You got to flee. And Joe's like, what do you mean we got to flee? I've been doing everything you've asked me to do, God. And he goes, no, 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 you got to run because right now the entire weight and power and wrath of the Roman Empire and King Herod is coming for you. They want to kill your son because the king is afraid he's going to replace him. And so Joe says, fine, we'll run. Where do we run to? And God says, run to Egypt. And Joe goes, you got to be kidding me. All you got to do is Google Egypt and Israel. You'll see there's bad blood there. Something about several hundred years of slavery that a nation has and finds it hard to forget about. Joe says, you want us to go to Egypt? That's enemy territory. And God says, that's where I want you to go. And so Joe is obedient. Mary and Joe pack up baby Jesus and they head off to Egypt. They'd spend some time there and eventually they'd get to leave Egypt. Let me show you what happens next. Verses 19 through 23. It says, after Herod died, an angel Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and he went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, so another dream, he withdrew the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. So let me just connect the dots here for you. Joe has a dream. He's told Joe, he's told Joe, this isn't your plan, but it's God's plan. I need you to follow it. You're going to have a son, but he's not your son. You don't even get to name him, but you're going to be his dad. You're going to do everything that a dad should do, except for you're going to know that that's not your son. And Joe does exactly what he's told. He has another dream, and he's told you need to run to hostile territory to save Mary and to save Jesus. And so Joe does that. He has another dream that says that King Herod is dead. Now you can return. While he's returning, he finds out that King Herod's son is now in charge. He has another dream that says now it's not safe for you to go back home. Instead, you need to go to Nazareth. This is the Christmas story for Joe. This was his Christmas. And sometimes I think he's got to be the loneliest character in the Christmas story. One of the most out of place figures in all of history. And, and I know that right now there are some of you that are going to go, no, 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 no. I think Joe was okay with where he was at. I, th- I think Joe liked being there. I think he understood that he was about to become the father, the earthly father of the Son of God. I, I think he was just excited that he got to be at the nativity, that he got to be a part of this, that he got to be there when Jesus was born. And I understand why you would think that. I just disagree. And I think the reason why we sometimes think that is because we've got 2,000 years of hindsight when we look at the story. We know where the story's going. We know who Jesus is. Joe didn't. Joe did not understand at this point in time in the story what had really just taken place. How do I know that? I know that because in the book of Mark, chapter 3, Jesus has begun his ministry. He's out teaching. And he's beginning to teach people that he is the son of God, 
that because he's the son of God, he is God, and that he can forgive sins. And in Mark chapter three, it tells us that when his family, meaning his mother, his father, and his siblings, when his family hears what he's teaching, the scriptures tell us that they think that Jesus is out of his mind. Their, their first thought is, oh my word, he's gone crazy. They did not understand it at that point in time yet who he was. They certainly did not understand it in the nativity scene, all of what is taking place and God was doing. There's another time where, where Jesus is out teaching uh, as a teen or a tween. He's a young boy. And it actually what was happening was that his parents, they were traveling. When they were traveling, they lost him. <laughs> they lost Jesus. Now, if any of you have ever lost your child, even for just a few minutes, you understand the anxiety that comes, Right? Like you're in the grocery store and suddenly you can't find them. So you begin to slowly pace aisle to aisle, looking up, looking down, trying to figure out where they're at. Then you begin to freak out because you haven't found them yet. So you start to tell other people. Next thing you know, you're yelling their name. You're running through the aisles. You're screaming and yelling and then you're praying and you're, you're, you're offering anything to God. And then you remember you left them at home with your older child. I mean, maybe that's not exactly how it goes, but if you've ever lost your child, you know the anxiety that wells up inside of you immediately, right? Mary and Joseph just lost the Son of God. What are those prayers like? Dear God, you probably know this already. We lost Jesus. <laughs> They're looking all over and they can't find him, and finally they happen to stop in the temple. There's Jesus. He's in the temple and he's teaching. And, and, and they ask him, why are you here? And now Jesus' answer is so interesting, and I don't think he meant anything by it. He wasn't trying to be mean. He wasn't trying to hurt his father. But when you look at the story through the lens of Joseph, I've got to think what Jesus said to him hurt just a little bit. They asked, why are you here? And Jesus says, why would I not be in my father's house? And Joe is reminded in that moment, he's not my son, and I don't really know what's going on. You see, Joe didn't have the New Testament like we do. He, he can't just pick up the Bible and read through it and go, oh, Jesus is gonna do what? He's gonna, oh, no, 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 look at this, look. Hey, Eric, hey. Hey, Jesus can walk on water. Can your son? Yeah, I didn't think so. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, he's going he's gonna to what? He's going to heal leprosy? <laughs> wow, my son is cool. What's this? No, no, no. He just took a, he took a boy's lunch? Why did he take his lunch? Why did you? Oh, he's going to feed everybody with that lunch, that's amazing. 5,000 with one lunchbox? Does he feed the boy? <laughs> Jesus, I raised you better than that. Does he feed the, doesn't tell me if he feeds the boy. Joe doesn't have the New Testament. He doesn't get to read through it and see all these things that Jesus does. He doesn't know. All he has is he has God saying, Joe, this was your plan. You wanted your life to look different. It's not gonna look like that. Here's my plan. Joe, I need you to follow my plan. And Joe says, okay. And then it gets harder and harder. And every time Joe says, okay, okay, and okay. And this brings us to our so what moment. So what can we learn from Joe? See, here's the beauty of the God that we serve. 
He is a personal God who loves you. When I say he's a personal God, a couple things that I mean by that. One, he wants to personally have relationship with you. He, he wants you to know he knows you by name. How does he know you by name? Because he created you. And he's a personal God because when he created you, he created you with a plan. He created you with a purpose. And he said, I know what I want to do with this person. If they'll just follow, I will put meaning into their life. But sometimes we get caught up in our own stories. Sometimes our story is like Joe's story. Because here's the thing, you can hear Joe's story, can't you? And you can almost think, boy, did God even love him? (laughs) Did God even care? And sometimes we can relate to Joe. Joe seems like the, the, the least meaningful character in the nativity. And sometimes in life, it's easy for us to live our life and to watch the life that everybody else is living, right? We see their life and we tell ourselves our life has so much less meaning than theirs. We convince ourselves that our life has less purpose. And it's easy to convince ourselves that God must not care. It would have been so easy for Joe to do that. But Joe's life did have purpose and it did have meaning. Did you see what it was? See, sometimes we miss this. Just like it's so easy for us to miss what God's purpose is in our own life for us, we miss this. Do you see what God asked Joe to do? He asked Joe to protect his infant son. And God needed Joe to be incredibly gifted and good at doing that. And he was. Church, in the same way, I want to make sure that you know and understand something. When God created you, he did not make a mistake. When God created you, he gave you the personality that he gave you for a reason. When God created you, he gave you the gifts and the talents that he did for a reason. When God created you, he said, this is a miraculous creation, and I've got plans, and I've got meaning, and I've got purpose for this person's life. And what I know is true as we sit here today is that there are some of you out here who you don't believe that God has a plan or a purpose or meaning for your life. And I just wonder, what if? What if you let today be the day that you began to lean into understanding what his purpose is for you? How much would it excite you for your life to have meaning, for your life to matter, How much would it excite you to know that the God who created the heavens and the earth says, I've got something I want you to do. You might be like, oh, I'm too bossy for God to use me. No, 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 he made you bossy for a reason, just watch. Some of you are like, no, 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 I'm too loud for him to use me. Oh, no, 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 he made you loud for a reason. I'm too goofy for him to use me. Oh, geez, oh, Pete, if I can be your pastor, he can use you. See, we love to come up with all the reasons why God can't use us, and God says, no, that's not how this works. You see, from the moment that I created you, I had a plan, and I had a purpose, and I had a reason, and I'm just asking you to lean into living it out. And so, church, here's how I want to close. Typically, Christmas Sundays, what we love to do is we love to close by saying, who would like to give their life to Jesus Christ? And here's what I want to say, is that if you're here today and you've never done that, and you want to take that next step, we would love to do that with you. How we wanna do that today is we just wanna say when service is done, we'd love to meet you and talk with you. There's a next step sign over here and there's a little booth over here in this corner of this room. We'd love to talk to you right there about how to do that. 
But as I was praying about how to close the service today, the Lord gave me a different close he wanted me to do. So instead, here's what I wanna challenge you with. If you're here today and you find yourself going, I don't have meaning and purpose. And maybe you're not sure that God is that. Maybe you're not convinced and that's okay but you just wanna to try to figure out and say, okay, God, do you have meaning for me? Is there purpose? Here's what I wanna challenge you to do. Commit to come back. Because let me tell you, starting in January, we're gonna start a new series that is all about how God created you so that he can communicate with you so that you can understand your purpose that God created you for. And we're gonna preach through an incredible series that's just gonna be one of the most fun and unforgettable series that we've ever done as you discover who God created you to be, how that should impact the life around you, and how that leads to the plan that he has for you. And it's gonna be incredible. So if you're sitting here today just going, okay, God, I'd like to find out if you have purpose and meaning for me. Your next step is to say, I'm gonna come back on January 5th, and then I'm gonna come back on January 12th, and I'm gonna come back on January 19th, and I'm gonna make a commitment to come back and to find out about that purpose and meaning he has for my life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for who he is. We thank you that this Christmas season we get to celebrate his birth. Father, what I would ask that you do right now, those that ask that you just would meet with each and every one of us right where we're at. Lord, as we walked into this room today, some of us have been Christ followers for years. Some of us have never made that decision. Some of us are here because we had to. Mom, dad said, get up, get out of bed, you're going to church. <laughs> Lord, wherever each of us are at right now, I just pray that you would meet with us. May we just begin to sense from your Holy Spirit just a love that you have. And may we begin to see that you have meaning for us. A purpose, that you made us the way you made us for a reason. And God, I pray that as a church, we will begin to lean into that and live out those purposes you have for us. In Jesus' great and mighty name we pray, amen.